Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And good morning. How are you? John here with you again. After quite a while of absence, I'd say, this is Dirt Radio, and we are sponsored by Friends of the Earth here in Melbourne. You can check us out at foe.org.au. Thanks to Yarrabug. Good show as usual. And it's, well, it's 25 minutes to... 11, we're here till 11 o'clock. Fifth-generation cotton farmer George Bender two weeks ago committed suicide after a coal seam gas mining company tried to force access to drill 18 wells on his farm near Chinchilla in Queensland. This came after 10 years of being bullied and intimidated by the coal seam gas mining company's already after his water had been contaminated and depleted. George Bender refused to sign an agreement with Origin Energy for these wells, and Origin were threatening to take him to court to force the wells on him. George had already lost two bores due to CSG operations affecting his water source. He was a well-respected man in the community, and he leaves behind a wife, kids, and a large extended family. On Thursday evening last week, people gathered for vigils all over the country, including at the Origin Energy office here in Melbourne, to pay their respects to George Bender and his family, to honor his resolve in the face of massive odds, and to say the fight isn't finished. Dirt Radio is making a tribute as well today. We'd like to play an interview that I did last year with John Fenton, who's a Wyoming farmer fighting against fracking on his land and campaigning all around the United States to stop fracking. John Fenton's struggle was featured in the film Gasland that probably many of you have seen, and he was in Australia last year, last March, in 2014, to tell Australians about his anti-fracking campaign in the U.S. and to caution anyone who was planning to let the industry on their land here to beware and not to take any notice of the company spin. John Fenton is a farmer from a place called Pavilion in the state of Wyoming. He wants Australia to engage in the debate around the extraction of coal seam gas and not to be blindsided by energy companies who want to do just that very thing. One of America's American farming community's most prominent anti-fracking advocates, John Fenton, features in the film Gasland, which probably most of our listeners in Dirt Radio know about already, and that film highlighted environmental and social fallout related to fracking. On the invitation of Lock the Gate... John Fenton spoke to packed town halls all across the regional areas in New South Wales last week, and he's here in Victoria 
sponsored by Friends of the Earth and Lock the Gate Victoria, to relay his cautionary tale about what, what happens in communities and to warn the farming communities in this state not to let it happen to them. Thanks very much for coming on board with Dirt Radio, John. My pleasure to be here. And I uh, wanted to ask you just, this is something very simple, very straightforward, mainly because my wife asked me when I said I was going to be interviewing you, where is Wyoming? Wyoming is uh, right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, pretty much kind of west central United States. And where we actually live is just east of the Continental Divide in the state of Wyoming. And what kind of farming do you do? We farm alfalfa hay that is primarily fed to beef cattle. And for the visitor who's never been there before, can you give us a little bit of an idea what the landscape might look like? It's pretty wide open, high desert country. Uh, the Rocky Mountains lay about 25 miles east or west of our home. Uh, they go up to 14,000 feet in elevation. Uh, very spectacular. We live in a big, broad valley, sagebrush, um, buffalo grass. It snows and gets cold in the winter, and it gets very hot in the summertime. But it's a very beautiful, remote place. So you'd be having ma- mountains in the background, is that right? That's is correct, that? Okay, yes. okay. Now, let, let's get down to the, the, the nitty-gritty and... Tell us a little bit about the history in relation to what happened with your farm and your home in relation to the gas company. Well, the area that we live in, they're just east of the small town of Pavilion. And Pavilion, Wyoming, has about 200 people in it. And we live east of town about eight miles. The first gas well was actually drilled in 1964 in the area. But it's into a tight sands formation. And and the, the geology was such that it didn't produce a lot of gas at that time. So between 1964 and probably mid-90s, we had about 25 gas wells in the area. Then in northeast Texas, around the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they came up with this modern form of hydrofracking called uh, high-volume slick water hydraulic fracturing and allowed them to open up these tight formations and produce the gas out of them because the gas is actually trapped in the rock itself. So from late 90s to the first couple years of the 2000s, we went from 25 wells to 200 wells. So the first thing we really noticed was just the absolute change that the landscape undertook. I mean, uh, we became industrialized. It was no longer a remote farming community. We had roads everywhere and drilling rigs and people there 24 hours a day and a destruction of the cultural sites, uh, TP rings and things such as that. And it wasn't too long after we started to see this big expansion in wells that neighbors started to notice their water quality changing, uh, color, odor, uh, water that had been clear and really nice for years was all of a sudden smelling like kerosene and turning brown or black. And people were, were very alarmed by that. And what, what, uh, what year was this? When did this start to happen? The what? first real degradation to the water that was noticed was probably around 2002. One of the things I was interested in to find out is how did the gas companies convince your community to let them onto the properties? What 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 was that? What was involved there? Well, the majority of the property where we live is what we call split estate property. The landowners do not own the mineral rights, so the company comes in and leases the mineral rights from whoever owns them. In this case, about eighty-five percent of the mineral rights are owned by the Native American tribes. And law states then that the 
mineral rights take precedence over the surface rights, and they can come in and, and explore for their minerals whether we want them to or not. So essentially, the idea of locking the gate was not on at that point. No, and quite frankly, uh, the people there, you know, the first wells in Wyoming, the first oil well, I think, was drilled in 1896. We've lived with this for a long time, and this was, you know, portrayed to us as the same old business, but with some modern twists to make it more efficient to getting the gas out. But I, I can assure you that coal seam gas, we call it coal bed methane in the States, uh, tight sands gas like we have or shale gas is not the oil and gas we're used to. It is very unconventional. The practices are, are new and the amount of activity involved to extract these is is so huge compared to the old style of oil and gas exploration, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. So they didn't really explain the, the infrastructure that was involved and the comings and goings, the 24, I, the 24 hours a day things, quite extraordinary as well. No, they didn't explain that. They, they came in and said, we're, you know, we're going to be good neighbors to you. We want to be a part of the community. Uh, we're here to provide jobs. We're here to you know, really be a neighbor. And, you know, people were trusting in that area. We wanted to believe that that's what was going to happen. And uh, we thought that the, you know, the federal government or the state government would look out for us. And, and we, we found out really soon that what they were looking out for was, was how many wells could be drilled. They were there to facilitate industry coming through and drilling. And uh, they had very little intention of, of standing up for the people. And it's still that way. And they they had to build roads, essentially roads through your property, or yes. expand roads that were already there. Oh, they built roads that through wild parts of our property that had never had a vehicle over them before. Like I said, right above our home, we actually had teepee rings that had been there for hundreds of years. This is where the, the Native Americans used a cone-shaped hide tent, and they would stack rack rocks around the bottom. We yes. called them teepee rings. Yep, they'd been there for hundreds of years. Right. One so after, this is very close to your, actually close to your home. All the wells are as close as 300 feet to our house. We're right in our front yard. Really? Yes. Almost every direction from our house you can see a well. And, and is this the case with your, your neighbors as well? It or? is. You know, we have cases in the United States. You, you can fly into the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is a major metropolitan area. These wells are on street corners and across from schools and churches and hospitals in Dallas-Fort Worth. You can see my eyes kind of bugging out right now, can't you? Yes. This is not this is not the normal out in the middle of nowhere oil and gas production. And we're not tapping a conventional reservoir here where there's a big puddle of this stuff underground. They have to drill wells every three or four or five hundred feet and have to fracture this rock underneath to get this to come up. So the footprint of this is absolutely massive. And you were saying before the when you started to notice these changes, I mean, actual changes in your water and so on, what what year was that in? That was the early 2000s. It, early 2000s. Yeah, and two, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. Okay. And so when, once you started to notice those things, what did you, what was the next step that you took? Well, you know, first of all, it was kind of neighbors talking to neighbors. Uh, a friend of mine, Louis Meeks, who his place was where all the farm workers went in the morning to fill their canteens up. We used to have a big migrant workforce that came through. We grew sugar beets, and they required hand weeding. Thousands of acres that were weeded by hand. And so every morning, Lewis allowed people to come on his place and fill up water. He came and said, my water, is, is there something wrong with it? And that, they were drilling a well right behind his house. And sure enough, we go over there, it smells like kerosene. And to this day, it still smells like kerosene. 
And then my neighbors, Jeff and Rhonda Locker, their water turned black and actually plugged the washing machine up and overflowed onto the floor. And it began a journey for them that has cost her her health. It's been a horrendous thing. And so we, we went to the state and industry and said, hey, there's real problems happening out here. This water's been fine for years, and all of a sudden now this activity has moved in, and our water's going bad. Industry, well, there's nothing we could have done that would have affected your water. And then the state of Wyoming defended industry stand. We spent up until oh, 2007, 2008 trying to get them to pay attention. And you were going, this was basically going to the, the capital mm-hmm. uh, senior politicians and so on. Yeah, even our local people, the Department of Environmental Quality for the state of Wyoming, all the people who are supposed to regulate this and the people who you're supposed to go to. And the state of Wyoming would tell us, well, we don't have the money or the manpower to perform this kind of, of investigation. And, and quite frankly, we don't think there's anything wrong. You know, industry tells us there's nothing wrong, and we're taking them mm. for their, what they say. Mm-hmm. So we finally got frustrated, and we went to Denver, Colorado, and we visited with our regional office of the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, and we asked them, come and do a groundwater investigation. So they did. In around 2000, late 2007, early 2008, they came in and started a groundwater investigation. After sampling the domestic wells where we get our water, they came back with a recommendation. They said, don't drink your water. Don't cook with your water. And if you bathe in it or use it for laundering or for washing dishes, open your doors and windows and ventilate your home so it doesn't explode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, this was, this was shocking. We knew we had problems, but to actually have that recommendation in front of you takes your breath away. And what, 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 what was the response of the community? What, what were you doing? Well, you know, those of us that had these problems, we were finally felt like a little bit of a weight had been lifted off as here's people who say, yes, you do have a problem Mm. and here's what you can start to do. And and we're going to keep investigating. Mm -hmm. And they did keep investigating. They, they sampled more of the domestic water. They sampled the surface water in the little streams that come through. They even sampled the water that comes up out of the gas wells and they drilled monitoring wells. So in, in the winter of 2010, they released a draft report that said, there's definitely contamination in the groundwater in the area east of Pavilion, Wyoming, and it is linked to the practices of drilling for gas and hydraulic fracturing. We found benzene at 50 times the maximum contaminant level. We found glycols and alcohols and solvents that are used in hydraulic fracturing. Mm. So we thought, wow, you know, here we're not imagining things. We're mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, hallucinating. There really are problems. But boy, what it did was it, it caused the oil and gas industry and the state of Wyoming to go to war with the EPA. They really did. And what, how did they do that? How, what was their tactics? That was actually one of my questions was what sort of strategies did the gas companies use to push back? Well, immediately they attacked the results as unscientific, that the EPA was on some sort of a witch hunt. And... Uh, the industry applied massive amounts of money in Wyoming and in Washington, D.C. Our own governor, Matt Mead from the state of Wyoming, flew to Washington, D.C. on at least two occasions to meet with the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency and lobbied her to have the study withdrawn. Mm-mm-mm. You know, and even after he visited our homes and he smelled the water and said, oh, it's foul. And he looked at Jeff and Rhonda's filters that are black and, and he needed towels to wipe his hands off, you know. And so... They, they were successful. This last summer, the EPA 
relinquished control of the investigation back to the state of Wyoming, who said that they don't have any of the capabilities to carry this out and who doubts the concerns of the people. And the governor stood before us and said, we're going to do this investigation and we have funding. And Canna has given us a million and a half dollars to perform this investigation with. So now we're being investigated by a state government who doesn't believe there's anything wrong. And they're being funded by the very company, the very industry who may have contaminated the water. It it seems almost Orwellian. So at the moment at home for you, just to go back to what's happening at your mm-hmm. house, you wouldn't be drinking the water at your house. No, actually, in Canada, deposits money in an account that the state of Wyoming then manages, and they pay for water to be delivered to our homes in five-gallon office water cooler containers. And that's what we drink and cook with. We're still bathing in the water. Uh, and they now have a program where they want to install cisterns for the affected residents. But in order to do that, you have to sign a 30-year access agreement with the state, giving them 30 years access to your water well for them to test at their pleasure, at their will. And uh, so, you, you know, we're once again asked to, to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And to it really just seems like... Uh, so you can't, there's no way... So at the moment, in fact, the gas company, the way you're describing, the gas companies are in a sense, winning. They're, they're extracting materials out of the ground, resources yes, out of the ground. they are. And what they've tried to do in Canada, tried to do right about the time the draft report was released in 2010, was to sell the gas field to another company, which is another tactic they use. They, they suck these fields out until there's no longer profit or they're having problems, and they sell it to a smaller company who doesn't have the resources to deal with it. And uh, once the company found out about what was going on there, they backed out of the purchase. Mm. So, that's ast- astonishing. Look, I, I just I, I want to pull it a, a little bit, uh, I suppose, in terms of your campaigning and so on. When, did, when was it that you decided yourself? I mean, you've tr- been traveling now around Australia. You've been in the Gasland film. When did you decide or was it thrust upon you to become a kind of spokesperson or, or an organizer? What, was there a moment when it happened or was it a long buildup? There was kind of a buildup to it. You know, we were starting to be affected. We knew there were problems. Uh, as a community, it was really hard. We didn't have anyone organizing us. And so I'm trying to think of exactly when it was. I think it was about 2006. We, we joined a group in Wyoming called the Powder River Basin Resource Council, who was founded 41 years ago in reaction to open strip mining in Wyoming. But they've become private property advocates, and they sent us a community organizer. And this woman started to organize for us, and we started to do our part. And I just found myself more and more participating in this and being asked to do this. And at first, I was terrified to stand up and speak in front of people. I was nervous. But, I, you know, this is my problem, and I have to deal with it. And it's actually been empowering. People don't realize the power that they have, that how strong it can be to stand up and tell your story, and that people are willing to listen. And uh, I tr- started to travel around the United States and, and look at other places that had been similarly impacted to our home and realize that if I don't tell my story, if I don't try to do something about this, then I'm part of the problem. And so uh, my life has changed forever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do this a lot now. Probably half of my time spent traveling, trying to inform people about what goes on. 
And, uh, you know, that, that's why I'm here. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I'm here to tell you my story and to tell you my perspective. So far, what I've seen in Australia, that people are, are, are really concerned about this, and they should be. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people are willing to stand up and, and say, if you can't do this right, if you can't do this without secrecy and without buying off our politicians, then we don't want anything to do with it. That's an interview that I did with John Fenton, and uh, he is a Wyoming farmer and Andy Fracking campaigner who was here last March on tour, letting people know about the potential dangers of fracking and not to be taken in by the mining company promises about big money and all the rest. And that was also Dirt Radio's tribute to John, to George Bender, who uh, is a Queensland farmer, sadly took his own life after years of harassment and legal bullying by CSG miners wanting access to his land. And as you heard John Fenton say there, it can be a, a very difficult and challenging time to be involved in that. So that's our tribute. And you're with Dirt Radio. John here with you today. We'll be back, of course, next week. We're sponsored by Friends of the Earth, and you can check out Friends of the Earth at foe.org.au. Black Block is coming up at 11, and we'll be back next week.